Drop the puck. Don't suck. I bet Kyle knows what that's from. Uh, welcome to the show, the first show of 2022. I can't believe it's 2022. And again, my guest for the first show of the year is Kyle Rush. How are you doing, man? I'm you good. doing good? Awesome. That's awesome. It's been a long time since we've talked. I know we've messaged a bunch over the past, I don't know, four or five years, but yeah. it doesn't, I haven't seen you in person in a long time. And, and I, I really miss being at Western and seeing everybody. Oh, I know. I, you know, and I tell uh, my wife all the time, she graduated from Western as well. I said, that's the number one thing I miss is you just walk around campus and see everybody. It's a five minute walk. Now it's four or five hour drive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And man, campus has been blowing up. I mean, oh, it's yeah. changed so much. We, we drove up there not long ago and it doesn't even resemble what it looked like when no. I showed up in 2009. No, Scott and Walker, when they tore both of those buildings down the whole like front of campus looks like a totally new place you were in walker weren't you i mean uh, that's scott. where yeah yeah oh you were in scott yeah yep. so i was in walker and i was on i tell people this all the time i was on the ninth floor which is the top floor and we called it the penthouse so <laughs> that's <laughs> Man, we had a lot of fun there. Oh, absolutely. I, I tell you what, it might be a good thing those walls couldn't talk too much, though. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> There's a, a lot of crazy stuff happened when we were there. Uh, so you you actually pledged, too, when you were at Western. You were in Greek life and all yeah. that. Yep. I, I uh, went Sigma Chi and um, learned so much from that and got a lot of uh, lifelong um, friendships and things that came out of that and even still to this day which is pretty cool because you mentioned like you know we haven't seen each other four or five years that happens with them and you know we see them whether it's on campus or somewhere else and it and it feels like you you just picked up right where you left off as if you saw them yesterday so it's, it's pretty cool to have that connection with so many people oh i, I totally agree i, I kind of had that with my campus ministry but the the cool thing that i like about western was it, it, it was big enough to be like big where you didn't see the same people all the time. Right. But it was small enough to where if you knew enough people, like when my brother first started going there, I would walk around and, you know, I'm saying, hey, to all kinds of people. And he's like, how do you know? All these <laughs> <Right>? people? <laughs> and it's like, well, eventually, like, you know, you, you're right. going to run into people like right. and you're going to end up knowing people. And, you know, you play in our murals or you go to the gym and you kind of get in a groove and you just end up meeting a whole bunch of people. And that's what I really liked about it is you could walk around campus and you could see people that you knew and everyone was super friendly. And I mean, that just, to me, that's what makes Western Western. Absolutely. I mean, I, I tell people, um, people from my church and stuff that have gone there and visited there. I, I tell them all the time and I, and I still believe that Western has like its own character to it. And it's, oh, it's yeah. not, you can't really explain exactly what it is. But if you're there long enough, you feel it and you say it's this sense of community uh, w without knowing there is one, if that if that makes sense. And it, it just naturally comes together. And, um, you know, when we were there, I think David Belcher had a huge part to do with that. He made, you know, he made everyone he, he was like the grandfather of it all, if you will. And, you know, he loved every minute of what he did. And, and that made it a joy to be there. And you wanted to be there. Well, and a chancellor of his caliber, he was so focused on the students having fun oh my gosh, and yes. loving their university. Yeah. 
I mean, this this is a guy who, when we were going trying to go into the NCAA tournament for basketball, he was at the game and just losing his mind, <laughs> running up and down the court, screaming, chanting, jumping up and up and down. And I mean, that was just his character, yeah. and he was all about making our university fun for us and allowing us to be proud of where we were going to school. Yeah, absolutely. When so many people, if you had a definition, I think of when you and I went to school, what a lot of us thought Western was, you could point to David Belcher and that was your answer. That was Oh, definitely. Definitely. I totally agree. So when this is kind of just an ancillary question, but when did you really get, you know, it started in the broadcast area or when did you decide that that's kind of what you wanted to do? Well, you know, it, it started as a kid. I mean, like, like so many, and especially recently with um, John Madden's passing, people have talked about it a lot. You know, we, you and I both, we, we grew up playing the video game and time and time again uh, at home, mom would fuss at me for yelling over the commentary on the game because I was trying to do it myself. And she'd, she'd say, you're not at the stadium, you're not this, you're not that, okay, fine, whatever. And then five minutes later, I'd start doing it again. And so I said, you know, doing something like that w- would be would be pretty cool if I could find a way to do it. So then I started um, learning a little more about it. I've always loved sports and, you know, I'm tall, linky, not fast and athletic. So that was the way to get into sports without <laughs> playing because that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Well, then, you know, you've got me, the inverse, who's kind of short and I mean, I'm I'm fairly athletic, but I mean, size is, has a lot to do with, you know, playing in the next level. And, yeah, and for we me, put something together, you, we, we might have something there. Yeah. <laughs> so so for me, like I, I decided that when I first started going to Western, I thought I was going to go into forensics, um, you know, do the CSI right. type thing. But then I quickly realized that I I was just not good at science. <laughs> it was not it was not my thing. Like I could do math and that kind of thing, but I was not good at chemistry and that kind of stuff. And so over the summer we were doing like these, you know, we were going camping and we had these Olympic games kind of, you know, cornhole, badminton, that kind of thing. And I just started messing around and doing play by play for those. And someone was like, you're kind of, you, you're kind of good at that. Right. And I thought, oh, well maybe, maybe I should pursue that a little right. bit more. And for me, like for my interests, I like the behind the scenes stuff just as much as I like doing the play by play. But I mean, for you, you were pretty engrossed in that when you were at, at college with us. I mean, I know you did a ton of games for ESPN three when we were still in school. Yeah. And you know, that was. In uh, a professor that I know you'll remember well, Gabe Nucci. I remember I, I I talked to him about it in a TV class and stuff I wanted to do, and he he still to this day gave me one of the best pieces of advice you can get. And I think for any young broadcaster, it, it's good to have. He said if you get an opportunity, if someone asks you about doing a game and it's something you really want to do, you don't say no. He said you're you're at a stage in your career trying to develop a career. He said, don't say no and pass up an opportunity. You never know who or um, what types of people are listening and and what it might lead to. Uh, And so much, and little did I know then, uh, now is so much into the broadcast industry is 
how many people get a chance because they were willing to do something that other people weren't. Yeah, definitely. To me, it goes back to uh, something kind of similar is, you know, just make yourself available for those kind of things. I mean, if if someone's asking, there's a good chance that, you know, it could turn into kind of a, kind of a regular thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what were some of the big games, I guess, that you, you feel like, you called when you were at Western, you know, calling sports for the Catamounts. Uh, well, you, you know, anytime Appalachian state was in town, it was a big deal. Um, and the sport didn't really matter. Um, you know, I, I joked with friends of mine that went to app all the time. It's like, yeah, you beat us in football, but what else did you beat us in? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because, uh, that was an area where Western had a lot of success. Um, and, uh, basketball, and especially baseball baseball program was good for a while but one of the bigger ones i remember um it was against appalachian state both teams were pretty good and i think toward the top of the um southern conference standings and it seemed like you know just going in the weekend you know having classes with some of the players and the the game just felt different um there was a different intensity level into it that uh there had been um, and, and, you know, it was, it was the one where, um, the, the free throw eventually happened, uh, <laughs> but I can still hear Logan Cheryl. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. F- Phil Jackson and I on that game, um, and in that type of moment, we didn't know exactly, you know, what we thought wasn't perhaps what we should have said. So we tried to filter it a little bit, but you know, I think what gets taken away from that because of the free throw was how good of a basketball game it was. Um, and it seemed like every possession really, really mattered. And it was just so much fun to be a part of. And, and you know, even with without the free throw, the free throw certainly um, put the icing on the cake. But without that, it's still probably one of the more memorable games I did. How far did that free throw go? It didn't even go like uh, five feet, did it? Yeah, it, it was crooked. You know, funny story about that. Um, Tawaski King, who was our center at the time, he didn't know what had happened until they got to the locker room. <laughs> because, you know, he went to box out his guy down low and he never saw the ball because it landed behind him. And he just thought the official blew for a lane violation or whatever, and the crowd was poking fun at him. And and um, I can't remember who he said brought it to his attention in the locker room, but then, you know, he saw it on the video, and then he said, oh. <laughs> that's, that's what I understood the reaction a little more. But, you know, it, it was one of those things where it's, it, 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 it's fluky, and you do this long enough, you'll see some stuff like that. Yeah, I mean it- – it- it's just one of those things where a college, you would think a college caliber athlete that's playing basketball would be able to at least get it to the backboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it uh, just didn't and, happen. But, and, you know, you see all the time. I mean, players of the NBA will air, airball a free throw every once in a while. Um, but I don't think it was just that. It was just how off it was. Um, and, and it sort of, I think, took everybody by surprise because the other part of it that goes sort of unnoticed is he made the first one. Yeah, he made the first one. And then the second one, it's like it, it he shoots it, but it doesn't even 
it's crooked. It's like it doesn't go. It, it, it's crooked. It, it looked like a big gust of wind hit it midair. I mean, it looked like, you know, it looked like a wedge shot falling out of the wind. Uh, <laughs> and, and crooked. And, I mean, because it didn't, it didn't even land in between the uh, lane lines. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely an oddity. And I remember go, when he went to the free throw line. It was actually a big point in that game. They were up four or five points, I think. And, you know, they were trying to stretch it back to seven because um, Western had kept making a run and kept chipping away. But Appalachian, until that point, had been able to sort of hold them back. And then um, after that happened, and then I think we got a bucket on the other end and we ended up coming back and winning that basketball game. Such a great, great moment. And it's it hits ESPN every once in a while. Oh, yeah. So if, if, if you know what we're talking about, you, you have probably seen it. And I, for whatever reason, the clip that I keep hearing is just, I hear Logan Trailer just going, my God. And that's about all that he, yeah, I, <laughs> that's about all that he says. <laughs> well, you know, we were sitting there. I remember, you know, doing the broadcast with TV 62 and we were looking back on it. And we went to the media timeout after that. And I remember I ran from, you know, the table where we were sitting at into the corner where all of our um, production stuff was. And, you know, this was before we used a tape deck for replay and stuff. And so, you know, they don't use that anymore. But uh, I said, it can't be as bad as I thought it was. And I looked at the replay and it was worse. Yeah. <laughs> And I said, holy yeah. smokes, you know, I said, well, you know, I was thinking maybe not top 10 will use this. That that was the initial thought. And yeah, they used it. And then some. Yeah, it's got a lot of play. It, But again, that's not the only thing that Western is known for. No. I mean, we hit the first three pointer in NCAA history. Yep. It's in Reed Gym. You could, there's a star on the floor. You can go in there and, and look at that. Um our women's team came very close to being the first 16 seed to beat a one seed. And the men did as well. Yeah. The men, and the men, the men did as well. Beat, yeah. Uh, Purdue in 97, yeah. 98 when coach Q, who was an assistant there for a long time under Larry Hunter, he was actually on that team and um, they lost by three to the Boilermakers after winning the SoCon title. To me, the most memorable moment was, uh, us playing Davidson. Oh my gosh. And if we if we would have beat Davidson, we would have went to the NCAA yep. tournament. And we kept getting noise complaints because it was me and my brother and our two roommates and we were going nuts because we thought we were going to win and the RA kept coming down to the end of the hall and going, "Look, if you guys don't be quiet, like, I'm going <laughs> to have to write you up." And I said, "Dude, you must not be a sports fan because this is a big deal." Like right. if we we're like within five and it's in double overtime and right. I mean this is it and I, he's like you just gotta be quiet. <laughs> I remember, uh, I, I remember I, I wasn't calling the game but we were shooting um, some footage for TV sixty two to run uh, with highlights and stuff on a student TV station etc. And so Ryan Keys and I were actually sitting baseline and under the basket where um, Keaton Cole tried that last second three. And I tell you what, it was, it's a matter of inches, whether that thing went in or not. And, um, 
you know, it was just long. But still to this day, I tell people that that's probably the best basketball game I've ever watched. I mean, two teams that were extremely well coached, a lot of talent level, both sides. And you get, you ask what a championship game should look like. That was it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was about as close as you could get. I mean, both teams, this is after Steph Curry has already exited Davidson, but they had another, another player that was like in a, he was like a post, not a post, but like a forward type. Yeah player and he he was really good i can't remember his name right now yeah yeah that's who it is and man he could shoot oh my god well if you went to davidson you could shoot after steph curry that's sort of (laughs) a requirement (laughs) it's like can you shoot the basketball yes okay you can play right um you know but that and i remember larry hunter uh our, our coach after that game when he was asked about it why we went for three at the end of overtime instead of the two, because two would have tied it. And without saying, he said, we didn't have the gas for a third overtime. Yeah. He said, we needed to try to win it right there. And, you know, you you got, he said, we got the shot we wanted with our best three-point shooter. Sometimes they go in, sometimes they don't. It's just the, it's just the way it is. I mean, gosh, it just, it happens that way. I mean, it, it was a good basketball game regardless, but it's just one of those things, you know, you miss by, like you said, a matter of inches. Yeah. And it, it was, it was so cool, but you know, the, the energy in, in that arena. And I think that's really when the Southern conference sort of fully um, grasped or saw what the tournament in Nashville could be. Cause that was the first year the tournament was in Asheville. Um, yeah, it, I mean, at the cellular center, yep, yeah, it had been it had been in Charlotte for years prior to that, and they were looking for a place that they could call that tournament home. And in the championship game, you have a game like that with the place packed to the brim, because um, you know, obviously, Western from Asheville's hour maybe, and uh, it wasn't that far from Davidson either. And you know, since then, they've had. You look at that championship game over the years since then. And usually you get a pretty full house. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the Southern Conference, that's kind of like a central area. I mean, you know, Chattanooga, East Tennessee, uh, Furman, Mm -hmm. all of those places. It's it's hour, hour and a half to Asheville from from where they are. You got four schools, Furman, Wofford, ETSU, and Western, all within side of an hour and a half. Yeah, um, it's it's about as central as you could get it. You know, VMI, it's a little further. Mercer, Sanford, obviously, but anytime you have a conference tournament, especially nowadays, uh, the way conferences have realigned, it's tough to get that central location. The ACC had that with Greensboro for the for years. Yeah, because you had um, North Carolina, NC State, Duke, Wake; they were all right there, and usually a few of those four teams were pretty good, and it was a pretty good bet that you'd see. A couple of them, if not all of them, in the semis, um, which made an incredible atmosphere in the Greensboro Coliseum. So I think with these conference tournaments, the ones that you see that, uh, I mean, they're all good. But when you get environments like that, it's just cherry on the cake. Oh, I think so. And then, like you were saying, especially with ACC being kind of North Carolina-centric in basketball where usually those four teams and Georgia tech's not really that far away either. 
um, those teams being good every year, it really helps the draw for that area because people are like, Hey, Greensboro is not that far away. Right. Let's, you know, let's go and, and we'll, we'll see these games. The same can be said for, for Asheville with the SoCon. Um, <coughs> well, one thing that I kind of. 100%. I mean, when I remember a couple of years ago, ETSU played Furman and it was the same type of deal. I mean, Asheville was sort of the meeting spot in the middle and, you know, it, it just creates such an environment there in um, the arena structure. That place gets really loud really fast. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. And it's, it's, if you've never been, been there, it's, it's a pretty nice facility. I mean, I like it. I've been there a couple of times and it, I mean, it's, it's pretty nice. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great spot. It's perfect for what the Southern conference needs it to be. It's not too big, but it's not too small. And it's, it's, it, it fits like a glove. And I think the Southern conference has realized they've really hit a home run there. I think so. Kind of, you know, bridging onto this, I was at the Virginia and the university of Maryland. Uh, what is it? UMBC. I was actually at that game oh. and saw UMBC beat them. Wow. I mean, it, it was, another really I mean, it was unreal. It was unreal. Just since we're, I was just thinking about that since we were on, on this topic, but it talking about, you know, a 16 beating a one, it, it just, I don't think there was anybody on the face of the planet that could have beat UMBC that night. I mean, it, they were, no. I mean, they were lights out the whole, the whole game. And, you know, me and my wife were there. Um, big shout out to my friend Brett McMillan who hooked me up with the tickets. He was like, "Yeah, we just wanted to go see Carolina play. We're not going to stay for the, you know, the the later games." And I'm like, right. "Or not Carolina? Uh, was it? V- He's a Virginia Tech fan, but um, they had they had tickets or whatever for it." He said, "We're not going to stay for the later games." And he said, "If you guys want to go, he says we'll give you the late, you know, the late session tickets." And I was like, "Well, shoot, I'll go." How quick did he regret that one? Oh, he texted me as soon as the game was over and he's like, I cannot believe you got to see that. And I was like, Oh man, it was, it was amazing. And like me and my wife are sitting there and she's, you know, she's not a huge sports fan, but she can kind of get the gravity of what's happening. And I said, this is a big deal. I said, if, and there was a moment there where Virginia kind of had a chance to come back because, you know, Uh Virginia plays a very possession based uh, basketball game and, and they were in the game. And then all of a sudden UMBC hit like two or three threes back to back. And it went from like a five point lead to like nine, 11 point lead. And I was like, they, they're, they're out of time. Like there's no way. When it it got to double digits, I think it was eight and they hit a three to make it 11. I said, Virginia's in a world of trouble. Yeah, because they they just cannot score quickly. No, and I mean, and, and there was like three minutes left. I was like, "This is this is bad." The, and they're going to have to. The misconception I think a lot of people got about those Virginia teams was that their offense wasn't good. And I, I tell people, I said, "Nothing's further from the truth." They're just very methodical. Yeah, because I mean, you look at their shooting numbers, they shot at I think forty five percent or so from the field, which is which is a pretty darn good number. Um. And they had spot up shooters. I think Kyle Guy was on that team, and yeah, and guy that you you know they were so good at working a defense to get the shot they wanted. It wasn't up and down the floor like you see some of these teams nowadays. Like, um, 
you know, Carolina in years past has wanted to do that. They turn it into a track meet and say, all right, you want to run how fast you want to go. Um, but Virginia had the innate ability to slow it down. They were really good in the half court defensively. They knew that they knew what they were good at. And just that night, UMBC just shot the lights out of it. And when you do that, you're going to have a chance to win a game like that. And and it needs to be you know mentioned that Virginia didn't play bad defense. No, they I mean they did what Virginia does on defense. They played very hard man to man defense, and UMBC was just able to hit their shots. That's that's about all that it boils down to. They they were able to use a perimeter to their advantage, and then uh, Virginia had a couple of missed opportunities on a couple of possessions where they would miss an easy shot or they would have a turnover or something funky would happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, those little mistakes added up. And yeah. before they realized it at the end of the game, they're down double digits and they're having to now push the ball, which is not something very characteristic for them to do. And, they just they were just out of time basically. Yeah, they, I mean they had to push the ball which they weren't comfortable with and you know you know the players to a degree had to know okay we can't be the first one to lose. Yeah, I mean the pressure at that point right. has to be unsurmountable. I think and, the combination sort of you know got to them but you know it was it's one of those things that it's why you get a team that just thinks, you know, it, it's a belief in what you're doing. And that UMBC yeah. team uh, knew what they were, and they didn't try to be anybody else. They didn't try to be Virginia that night. Uh, no. They said, you know what, we're going to play the way we know how to play and how you got there to begin with, and what happens, happens. It just – it was a, almost surreal. And when it happened, I started taking pictures. I saved the ticket stubs. <laughs> I was like, this is insane. Yeah. Because I was almost just in shock. But, um, again, kind of, you know, segueing into this, 2021 and the start of 2022 have been really good for sports. Oh, my sports gosh. This year have been, have been insane. Oh, my gosh. And especially this you know the national championship the the date there we're recording this the national championship has just uh, happened this past monday and stetson burnett i mean my gosh what a game that young man had i mean and, and think about <clears throat> you think about his story too like when they played clemson at the beginning of the year and, and is broadcasters will make their too deep depth chart where on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, you have the first and second string at every position in case someone gets hurt or a substitution, whatever the case may be. And I think Chris Fowler threw in a nugget there that I don't know that a lot of people understood or picked up on. Stetson Bennett was not on his too deep for the Clemson game to start the year. He wasn't even on that depth chart. And here he is winning the most valuable player in the championship game. It's really incredible. I mean, what was it? Uh, transfer or walk on transfer to Georgia? I yeah. mean, that's yeah. that's it, almost like storybook type stuff for for that young man. And they throw it out. You brought someone that story, they'd be like, "Yeah, that's you know, Ru Rudy, that's too Hollywood." Rudy's, we have that. Rudy's already. not going to happen again. Forget, much less quarterback in the SEC for a team that's top five. Yeah, no. But I mean, 
this kid, just the persistence that he had all year. I mean, because you think about it all year, it's, okay, Wednesday T. Daniels coming back. Wednesday T. Daniels, this isn't the guy that's going to take Georgia to where they want to go. Even before the playoff, it was, okay, are, are you really going with Bennett? Especially after you lost the SEC title game. And that's yeah. when everyone, you know, it's almost like everyone was waiting for that moment where he didn't look right and where it looked too big for him. And the SEC title game, it did. Um, but Nick Saban's defenses can make a lot of quarterbacks feel that way. Uh, and Stetson Bennett certainly was not the first. But that was the moment everyone said, okay, time for a change. And I thought, uh, give Kirby Smart a lot of credit. Remember in before their semifinal game? In his press conference, he said, Georgia can win a national championship with Stetson Bennett. And then they, they turned around and did it. But the moment for me in that championship game was after the fumble that yeah. put Alabama right on the doorstep. They scored the touchdown to go ahead. I said, you know, okay, we're going to see what this kid's made of. How does he react to that? Because it would have been how many times have we seen a team against Alabama a play like that doesn't go your way? And that ends up being all she wrote. And it's just an avalanche from there. And that snowball effect. Not, yeah. Not only was it not that, he came out and he picked Alabama apart on the next drive. It, five passes, they were in the end zone. And I mean, it was just precision, um, some big time throws, and got Alabama to jump off sides, took advantage of the free play that they scored the touchdown on. I haven't been as impressed with a quarterback coming in in that type of situation in a title game like that, maybe since Tua did it to Georgia um, a few years ago, or maybe remember uh, what Vince Young did late in the Rose Bowl to beat USC several years ago. So it was that type of performance and that type of drive for Stetson Bennett. And that Vince Young uh, USC moment to me is kind of the pinnacle of what college football is and was or what it could achieve 100 because that that moment between you know you've got reggie bush the heisman trophy winner and and matt leinard and this usc team with pete carroll coaching it that is it's just almost insane the amount of talent they have yeah and then you've got this texas team coached by mac brown and it's just the two best teams played yeah and it, it was. I mean, you play that game a hundred times over. I don't know who's going to win the majority of those games. Like no. it's 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 insane. And, and I think I think you could say the same with Alabama and Georgia this past weekend. I think it was so clear cut. I think for most people until the SEC title game. I think if you polled most people that watch college football, they said, "Yeah, Georgia's clearly the best team in the country." And then Alabama sort of showed away. Yeah, they can be beat. Um, and it takes a quarterback like a Bryce Young who had a sensational year. But, you know, I think even if Alabama had won that game, I think the story could could be just as poetic because, remember, they were perhaps an Auburn player from staying in bounds from not getting to the playoff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, just... if, if um, Tank Bigsby stays in bounds, they probably don't get to the playoff and lose to Auburn. Um, but as it was, they did. They found a way in four overtimes to win that game on the road. And then um, they they found themselves right to the national championship game. And, you know, a lot of people, 
when they uh, took care of Cincinnati the way they did, controlled it throughout. Um, I want to say, well, it, was, it proves that Cincinnati shouldn't have been there. Well, we got to have that conversation with Michigan too. Yeah, because Michigan, I mean, Michigan, looked, Michigan looked worse. They did, and and I thought that Michigan might give Georgia, you know, a fit. But I thought I thought it could set up to be like that 10-7 classic old school football game. Oh, exactly. And I mean, Michigan's got arguably the best defensive player in the country right now. Yeah. I mean, that defensive end that they have is just—he's unreal. He's a game wrecker. I mean, he's he's in on every play. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's he is around the football every play. But to me, the thing with with Georgia is, you know, in that first game with Alabama, their defense played just atrocious. I mean, they did not have a good defensive game. And that's kind of what everyone was saying. They said, this unit is not going to play that poorly again. And I mean, they came out and they, they were lights out. I mean, they played so well and it's, Again, I'm going to say it. It's been a big year for Georgia as a state as far as sports go. I mean, they broke – what is this? uh, How many years has it been since, you know, they've won a national championship at Georgia? 40 years. Yeah, I mean, 40 years. And then to have the Braves win a World Series, I mean, my gosh. (laughs) They must be rolling on on high right now, uh, all those Peach Peach State people. Someone didn't send the memo to the Hawks or the Falcons, though. No, the poor Falcons. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and you know what's strange about what's strange about the Hawks is a lot of people in Atlanta. If you asked them midway through baseball season, they were going to say that was probably their next best shot at a title. Yeah, I mean the Hawks were playing well, and they just kind of all fell apart. And then you know, I mean, we know what happened to Atlanta in the last Super Bowl they were in. I right. mean, Tom Brady happened. So I mean, that's. This is kind of how it is, but it's happened to, to me, the world Atlanta, the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, for me, like growing up a Braves fan and, you know, we haven't won a playoff game since 1996 or a world series game right. since 1996. I mean, that's 20, 20 something years. We got swept in 1999. It was a big deal. And watching game seven and, and this is this is funny. Um, I'm watching Game Seven. It's in the ninth inning. We're up seven to nothing. You know, Will Smith is closing it out. Atlanta has played lights out this whole Game Seven. They're you know getting the last three outs, and they finally win it. And I turn to my you know on the ground ball to Dansby, and he throws it to Freddie Freeman, and it's I mean it's over. And I turn to my wife and I say, I cannot believe that this just happened. Right. And she goes, what do you mean? They just won seven to nothing. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, you don't get it. Like we, we, the Braves are just, we just give it away every time. Like that's just what we do. And for some reason we didn't do it this time. We didn't go up three, one and, and give it away. We won the world series. You know, and a Braves fan, a, a friend, another friend of mine, that's a Braves fan. His name is Brian. He said, I don't think even at seven nothing that Braves fans were ever comfortable because they all knew no. if there was a team to blow a seven nothing lead in a game seven of the World Series. It was probably Atlanta. <laughs> exactly. And and I was thinking that the whole time. I said, What is gonna happen now? And then you know 
there was get no, a guy on. no fluke infield fly rule or nothing like that. So, and see, the weird part is, is that we were kind of out of town. Like, if you've listened, you know, if you, if if you guys are listeners to the show, you know that we went to uh, Salem, Massachusetts, around Halloween, which is when the World Series was happening. So every night, you know, I'm going back to the hotel room and I'm watching watching the game, and it's just I'm just unbelievably happy and then just concerned and there's all these emotions and then we finally get back home and we get to the final game and just the whole culmination of that World Series to me, the whole experience, I don't I don't think I could be happier with a sports team. I mean, I honestly short of Western winning a SOCON title or division one title in football, I don't think I could be happier. Or maybe the Panthers not choking in the Super Bowl again. That was pretty bad. <laughs> it, was, it was really incredible, though. I mean, that, there was so many times where you thought, okay, the the run is, you know, yeah, it's on its course. And, you know, even before the World Series, how many times did that Dodger Series just say, okay, here we go again? And, to me, like, and I posted about this as soon as we won it. At the beginning of the year, like in March, uh, me and my the, my boss that I work with, he's a huge a huge Braves fan, and we would talk about we talk about it pretty, you know, pretty often. That's kind of one of our our conversation topics when we're when we're around one another. And he came in and he goes, "We're not looking good." And I said, "Well, it's April. Like we, it's a long time until to August. Just give them give them some time. We're you know the pitching's not good right now. Just we'll get through it." come back and talk in May, and he's like, we're not looking too good. I said, it's just May. It, it'll, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. It's the all-star you know, break. You just got to get to July. Like, if we can get to July, we'll be okay. And then we're like, you know, seven, eight games out of first place. He's like, man, we're not we're not looking good. I said, it's just June. Let's get to the all-star break. It'll be, it'll be okay. Then Acuna gets hurt, and I go, oh, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be okay or not. And then they, the front office – for the for Atlanta made a ton of brilliant moves. They rehauled that whole outfield. Oh, 100 percent And they had to. They had to. I mean, they lost Ronald Acuna and they basically just said, okay, hey, how can we replace the average? How can we replace the home runs? How can we replace the on-base percentage? And they went out and got four pieces. And I don't think there were any four better outfielders in the game of baseball from July until the end of October. You brought in a guy like Jack Peterson. And the role that he plays, and he's so historically he's been so good in the postseason, and all the memories or nightmares, if you will, um, from postseason past with Atlanta. They, Jock hasn't lived all of those. No, he, he, I mean he, he has several, you know, highlights of postseasons in his memory bank, and you know I think that. Uh, the against Milwaukee when he hit that first home run late in that ball game, you sort of got the sense, okay, this they got they got one dude in there that said, no matter the situation, if we need someone to put it out out of the yard, I got you. And yeah, he was not too big or too small for the moment. No, uh, he he kind of thrived off of that. Okay, I'm getting my opportunity. I'm pitch hitting. This is my shot. I'm right. gonna try to I'm gonna try to bomb this joker, and he was able to do it. But it it it, it was really so Atlanta though, because you know in Atlanta's 
history, you're like, it, it, it can never be easy. No, and, everything's going to be as so hard it, as possible. If you, if you told your average Braves fan, by the way, Acuna's going to get hurt in July and he's not going to play anymore. Yet, I mean, it made me, you're gonna it win made me sick. I mean, honestly, honestly, I was like, this is, we're, we're done. You're like, going to win the division, then you're going to get the World Series and you're going to win the World Series with him sitting in the dugout. I, it, that story alone is incredible. And I, I think the, the growth, you mentioned it. The pitching staff from May to October was the the transformation is it was really incredible. To me, the, the what really anchored that. I mean, I know that Atlanta has a rotation of good starters. I mean, Charlie Morton, yep. Soroka, when he's when he's healthy, is really good. Uh, and then Morton got hurt. Yeah, and Morton, Morton got hurt in the World Series. I think a lot of people think, well, he pitched on that broken leg. I think it was a, a micro fracture that was not completely broken. And then when he got that last out, when he landed on it, it, it finally Gave, yeah. broke from stress because he looked fine. I mean, up until that point, he was dealing. <laughs> I mean, he was, I mean, it, he took that one off the shin and was like, I'm fine. I'm good. Let's keep going. It, don't come out here. Like, let me right. just keep I mean, throwing. It, it, like, it's and fine. You got to think from an athlete's perspective, too. How long do you work to get a chance to pitch in a World Series? And it, well, and he's done this before. Like, he won a right. World Series with the with the Astros. I mean, this is your this is your guy. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the dude that you roll out there and you say, we're going to get a win. He's on the bump. This is a This is a W for us. And to lose him in, what was it, the third inning? Yeah. And he's just absolutely flamethrowing the other team. I mean, they can't hit him. And then the the, the way the bullpen performed that night, and then, you know, I, it felt like the Braves had to get to a 3-1 series lead. They had to. I mean, if because they Because then you could finally rotate it back to a normal starter in game five. And then hopefully if you don't win game five, you can piecemeal something together in game six and have a starter ready game seven if you got there. And see, that's where Atlanta capitalized on their opportunities when the Astros did not. And then the Astros had to play a couple of bullpen games where they just didn't – whoever they were going to put out there, they were going to get hit. And hit hard. I think think the key was – a friend of mine that I work with at the golf course, he, he said the same thing. He said, I think game four was strictly a bullpen game for both teams. Yes. He said, when it's a bullpen game for both teams, the Braves have to win. Yes, they had to. Because at that point in the series, if you went mano a mano with what the starters looked like, the, you would say it favored Houston. So you, you had to, when both teams were in the bullpen, I think, and the way they came out offensively, in that game, they knew they had to win those games. Yes, and then, and definitely. then to pull it off, it was it was it was truly fun to watch. Now, before before we switch subjects, to me, this whole World Series run and them winning this hung on a seventh inning in the NLDS with Tyler Matzik fanning Albert Pujols, yep, Chris Taylor. And then Mookie Betts. Yep. And if Matzik does not have that seventh inning, if the Dodgers put up any kind of runs, I mean, he comes in, 
after Luke Johnson had an atrocious inning, leaves the bases loaded, and then Tyler Matzik, a guy that, and and you know this, has had problems with the yips. Mm-hmm. I mean, gets in a big moment and just crumbles. And he comes in and pitches probably the best. And I don't care what other people say, the best two innings of relief pitching that I have ever seen in my entire life and probably will ever see again. I mean, he was – that is what you do if you're a relief pitcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't that, – that's it. I mean, when you – if someone said, show me what it is to be a relief pitcher, I'm going to show those, show them those two innings and say, this is how you do your job. Right. I mean, and, and, and there was, you mentioned that sequence where he struck out those three in a row. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, if you're Atlanta, you can't give up more than one. And that's I'm thinking, I'm thinking we're going to give up at least one. I mean, right. I'm got, saying, arguably, right. I think Atlanta fans sort of surrendered. Okay. We give up a sack flyer. We can live with giving up one. But, gosh, you, you think a, a Pujols or a Mookie Betts, if, if they hit one in the gap here, or worse yet, hit it out of the yard, the ship might be sunk. Yes. And, and not only did they not get a hit, I mean, just to fan all three of them, and some of the pitches in those sequences were unreal. The one with Pujols, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. The one with Pujols where he peppers the outside of the zone. Yeah two times in a row and and that's where albert in later in his career he's really struggling to hit the outside part of the plate he just can't catch up to that that heat on the outside of the plate and then the next pitch he pitched him three pitches two on the outside he swung at both of them and then the third one was at the hands inside and up in the zone not like high but in the zone and just up at the hands and to just say, this is my best pitch. Hit it. Hit it if you can. Yeah. And to put it by him. Just put it by him. It's just unbelievable. And that's one, too, where, I mean, especially when, you know, uh, Pujols' history. Where yes. if you miss that spot just a little bit, it's probably in the second deck. Yeah, if you put that anywhere to the left, just a hair, near the belt, that thing is gone. Like, gone a long way and for him to put it right in that spot in that hole in his swing and just fan him i mean and he swung hard too yeah i mean that, that's one thing you you typically get i mean you, you look at some of the great hitters um you know especially in clutch situations you don't usually get these check swing strikeouts no i mean you know with a guy like a pool holse he's you know, if he swings three, t- you're getting three hacks. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, you're not going to get sort of a half swing on him. Certainly not on strike three. Uh, one or two, maybe. And, and you know, you think Pujols was the guy that way. Jeter was the same way. Um, there, there was no sort of sawed off half swing to get Jeter out in a game that really mattered. <laughs> no, no. He was going to give you a, he was going to give you the best swing that he had. And then, well, he did the same thing with Mookie. He just yep. threw it by him. And Mookie's arguably one of the best hitters in the game right now as far as contact goes. And, and just to, I mean, just put it by him. 
it just made it made them it that did the series in like the Dodgers were done yep. after that seventh inning they didn't have anything else for Atlanta and then to me that's kind of what that World Series hung on I know that there were some moments against the Astros that you know if they go the other way we probably don't win that World Series right. but I knew that we were in a good spot when the first pitch was thrown to Jorge Soler and he freaking mashed it yep and I was like that thing is gone tone setter and. And I was like, this is, if this is what it's going to be like, Houston's going to have a really, really hard time beating the Braves because mm-hmm. they, I mean, they will swing. They were a very free swinging team. Um, I mean, and, and everyone played, you know, as far as the hitting goes in that series, I felt like the Braves hitters just hit for contact. I mean, they were like, we're going to dink and dunk it. And if you give us a chance, you know, Adam Duvall was like, hey, you put one right down the middle, I'm going to freaking smoke it. Right, and that's what he did. I mean, they they took their shots when they needed to. Oh, one hundred percent. And you know, and it was one of the. It was a really compelling World Series to watch. I mean, because you had, I mean, there were some of those games where you were like, okay, first one to ten runs might win this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this is. There's not going to be any pitching tonight. We're just going to score runs. Right. But <laughs> it, it was it was truly a, a a lot of fun to watch and see how it unfolded, and then. Um, you know how it how it finished just just an incredible incredible championship for Atlanta. So I've got really just two more things that I want to talk about, and one of those is what do you think about this football that's getting ready to come up Super Bowl run? I mean, who do you think is good? I know I know you're a big Packers fan. <laughs> I was, so, I mean, was going to say you want the analytical or the fan side of it? No, but you know I, I think you know I, I just think that there's. There's not really this season. In years past, you've seen a team sort of like what we talked about with Georgia earlier, where you said, okay, Georgia clearly looks better than anybody. I don't know that you have that in the NFL right now. I don't either. I, don't, I think there's I don't a lot of parity. Say, I don't think you can sit back and say, yep, one team is clearly better than everybody else. And and I think the the – Middle of the pack, if you will, the three through six or maybe even seven seed, certainly three through six in each, uh, the AFC and the a- NFC. I mean, take your pick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see this Kansas city Steelers, uh, game. You know, it, because it, everybody's, everybody is riding off Pittsburgh. Oh, I know. It, including half of Pittsburgh, by the way. Yeah, I mean, Big Ben, what did he say in his press conference? He's like, we're not supposed to be here. I'm just going to go out there and have fun. And I'm like, bro, come on. Like, you want to win. Well, yeah, I, but I think part of that's him him playing it out. And, and, you know, Big Ben loose could be extremely dangerous. Take, take the limitation. I mean, because I think Ben would even admit himself that with him at quarterback, right, there's some things that they can't do as well as they did, say, five years ago. Um, it, it, it sort of looks like, you know, it's how the Saints were with Drew Brees. You knew they couldn't take as many shots down the field because he just doesn't have that anymore. However, look at the rest of this Pittsburgh roster. Where is there a part you really don't like? I mean, they do have but, some good players. I mean, I mean Najee Harris has been you, you, unreal. To beat a team like Kansas City, you got to have somebody that can get after the passer. T.J. Watt is that and then some. Um, yeah. 
I mean, what he's he's got the record in sack, tied the record in right. sacks this year. You got some dudes on the back end. I mean, they could use a Troy Palomalu again, but uh, you know, and to me, Kansas City, there hasn't been a game really this year where I sat back and said, "Okay, that's that really dangerous team." No one wanted to play the last two years. I haven't seen that yet. I think everyone watched the film from the Super Bowl. And kind of, you know, last year had a blueprint. They uh, they saw what Tampa Bay did. Yeah. I mean, they doubled, they doubled down on their two biggest threats, and then they pinned their ears back and said, "Well, if it, you're going to try to throw funny, it, you're going to have to run." Especially when you consider Brady coming from New England, it was it was how Tampa Bay played that game was very Belichickian. In, in the standpoint of, in the standpoint of. Okay, what do you do best? You're going to have to beat us some other way because we're taking it away. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they couldn't run the ball <clears throat> right. at all. And, and I think you look at you look at this whole um, playoff secret. I think Cincinnati and Oakland could be one of the more intriguing games all weekend. Um, I just, I mean, the, the job that the Raiders and Derek Carr and their head coach have done with everything they've been through. Um, you know, from Henry Ruggs to John Gruden to now making the play. Like, nobody after the whole Gruden thing expected the Raiders to be in contention for a playoff spot, much less getting one. And and Derek Carr has been unbelievable. And, you know, a, a, a guy that a lot of people, you know, in our area know a lot about, and Hunter Renfro. I mean, it, I don't know that there's many better route runners in football. I don't think so. He, he's not the most athletic guy. He wasn't at Clemson either. But you need a third and six, third and five. Deshaun Watson looked at him all the time at Clemson, as did Trevor Lawrence. And and Derek Carr saying, yeah, that guy's going to find a way to get open or give me enough of a window. And I get Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, they've been lethal. But they haven't been in an NFL playoff game before. And you look back earlier this year, there is one game this year. I heard this stat this morning. One game this year where Joe Burrow did not have a completion over 15 yards. It was against the Raiders. Oh, wow. And so, you know, it wouldn't shock me a bit to see Oakland win. Um, you know, the, the Patriots are interesting. I just don't think there's a very high ceiling. The Patriots are doing something. Okay, so I saw this a couple a couple months ago, where they they did like a stat graph of you know balance of you know run versus pass or right. you know kind of how that was situated. New England plays a very balanced game where a lot of other teams are very pass happy right now. Yeah, and they're using the pass kind of as their running game where well, they throw the short swings or they throw a screen or, you know, a short like five yard route. And they're using that for their, for the running game or, you know, there's a little shovel passes. Right. What new England has done is they have built their team almost opposite of how everyone else, their offensive side opposite of how everyone else has built their defense. They're big physical and they run the ball. They, they remind me of think back to, uh, I know we were, talking college football earlier think back to aj mccarron eddie lacy at alabama 
Yes, exactly. And, and where, where they play really, really good defense. Uh, they don't ask Mac Jones to do a whole heck of a lot. Um, what was that uh, game that they played in Buffalo? He threw the ball, what, twice? Yeah, right. And one of them wasn't very good. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, but in the conditions called for that. And so, you know, I think, you know, it's sort of a throwback style. And the way Belichick has really orchestrated this it is really kind of genius. Because after last year, everyone was saying, Belichick can't coach without Brady. And I never agreed with that. I mean, think back. You want to go last year? Fine. Go look what that offense looked like with Cam Newton before Cam got the COVID thing last year, which threw the rest of his season off. They looked good. Cam looked good. I mean, and yeah. you sat back and said, if you're going to use Cam Newton as your quarterback, this is exactly how you should use him. Which I think I think they unlocked something with Cam Newton that Carolina never did. Uh, I think what Carolina and this is where I'm so frustrated because I am a Panthers fan. I live in the Queen City, so it it hurts me. I understand <laughs> why I understand why we let him go the first time. Yep. Do I fully agree with it? Nah, I'm kind of a mixed bag. Ask ask me on a different day, and I may tell you a different answer every time. For me, it was time to see something different. You mm-hmm. know, you got rid of Ron Rivera. We have a new owner. It's time to, you know, try something different. So we don't resign Cam. We pay for Teddy Bridgewater. Then we think, well, Teddy's not really the answer. He's kind of our go-between guy. Let's get Sam Darnold. Never understood that one. I don't understand either. It's been He's been terrible. I mean, not just serviceable. He's not even serviceable. He's been terrible. It's it's not even to where it there wasn't much that he granted, you know, he, he was in a failing situation in New York. Um but look what Zach Wilson has done with essentially the same roster. He he's better. Um and, and so <laughs> there, I mean, he hasn't been seeing ghost or anything like that. And I I just when you brought Cam back, you know, yes, he 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 struggled at times this year. There's no doubt. Well, about they, 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 but what they did from from being here and watching them play almost every week, it would have been better if you would have let PJ start the games, and then when you get in the the short situations in the red zone or you need yardage picked up. Bring Cam in the game. Or or at least do that for a few weeks instead of just one until Cam gets completely comfortable with the playbook. I mean, you got to remember, Cam hadn't played football since August in the yes. preseason. In an entirely different scheme. New, to say New England and Carolina are running the same style of offense, you're just kidding yourself. And to try to – Cam's trying to mold what Matt Rule and company want done and how they want to go about things it'd be different if it was still the same coaching staff that was there when cam left he'd just go back to what he knew before but yeah it it really this is cam's third offense in as many years yes and that that's hard on a quarterback and you know i know i say well cam you know he misses some open guys he made some and all those things are true but when you, when, the when you offense didn't know, do him any have you, favors. Have you have you gotten 
a better quarterback than Cam since Cam left the first time. Teddy looks okay in in Denver, but I mean, Teddy he gets hurt. Teddy's a typical game manager. He's he's not going to lose it, which I think the turnovers are really what turned the Panthers off of Cam in the first place. Um, But, you know, name me a marquee receiver he's had outside of Steve Smith. I mean, in New England, he didn't have any either. No, I mean, what they and and what they passed on. I mean, they passed on good players to draft Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, we cannot forget that they drafted Kelvin Benjamin. Who is lazy, would not show up, would show up to camp like 50 pounds overweight. And for how many years that Cam was in Carolina, was that his number one receiver? Too many. And, And, you know, his number one receiver was Greg Olson and Christian McCaffrey. Those were his top receivers. And neither one and of I mean, them play the receiver position. No. And and, and and Greg was good. Like if you we if we remember back to like 2015 when they were when they were really good. He he was the key. They uh, used the pieces that they had and they used them well and they didn't run Cam into the ground. Right, now the very right. next season he played hurt a lot. I mean he got right. hurt in that Pittsburgh game and they were like, look, you're our guy. We're gonna run you into the ground. I, I think and, I, I think the moment that really turned for Cam in Carolina, certainly the first time, was in that Super Bowl on the fumble. Yes. And, and I think that I, you know, I think that was the moment where fans are saying, are, are we sure this is our guy? Um I and you know, I think that's the moment that, that turned people off of him. But you look at the playoffs this year, and so often um, in, in this league, especially with the way the rules um, indicate, you mentioned uh, how the Patriots sort of being an oddity as far as run first, pass later type of offense. Um, the Titans do that a little bit. Uh, you know, I, has there been a number one seed that people have talked about less than Tennessee? No, and I, I was getting ready to say that. I mean, they, you've got to think that they've got Derrick Henry, yeah, coming back. I mean, they're going to be at full strength. And he's fresh. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. He doesn't have 16, 17 games on his legs. No. And when he when he plays, when he is in the game and he plays, they are almost unstoppable on offense. It, it's, I mean, a, you, it's a whole attitude, and you look at – you know, some of these high-flying, potent-type offenses, and the Bills can certainly be that with Josh Allen and certainly Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. They can only do so much when they're sitting watching Derrick Henry get five, six yards of carry for seven minutes. <laughs> I mean, if you play ball control football, and the Titans do, and they manage the game well, and I think Ryan Tannehill is kind of having a he's, – He's the perfect he's, quarterback he's, for what they need. Yes. I mean, he, he's going to make the plays that you need him to make. I think he's a little bit better than just a game manager. Yes. He's he's but, what I think the Patriots are trying to develop Mac Jones to be. Exactly. I think I mean, he, it, when he's you serviceable. Look at the trajectory for Mac Jones, I think Ryan Tannehill is where you try to get it to go. Yeah. I mean, and they've got the pieces. The Patriots have the pieces. I don't think they're gonna get by Buffalo. Um I don't I either. Buffalo I think Buffalo wins that game. If it, on the AFC side, if you had if this first set of games, if I'm going to have to pick, I'm going to pick Vegas over Cincy. I'm going to pick Buffalo over New England. 
oh, I don't like that other game. <laughs> I just don't like it. Pittsburgh versus Kansas City. Now, uh, I, I, will say, I will say this about Pittsburgh, Kansas City. It will be a heck of a lot closer than I think a lot of people think it will. Um, I think so. I, I, I don't know that Pittsburgh has the firepower to win the game. I think the magic number is 24. If you can hold the Chiefs under 24 points, Pittsburgh's got a real shot. But you start getting 25-plus points, it's going to get really tough. Um, I mean, the, the, the I, spread I is KC minus 12-and-a-half, and the over-under is 46. So yeah, I think you're I mean, right. If you keep them under 20, it's going to be hard for them to win. I, I Give me Kansas City, but don't be shocked if Pittsburgh's right there in the fourth quarter. And whatever you do if you're Kansas City, don't give Big Ben two minutes in the football. <laughs> no, no, no. Because, but you know, and you know, it's it's interesting. Um, it, it, when you go and look at at the NFC, I mean, two division heavyweight. How good of a wild card game is the Rams and Cardinals? I I, I was just looking at that. I mean, I. Mean, I uh, if I'm going to pick one just off of gut instinct, I mean. There are, two, there are two teams that you can make a legitimate case for to play in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, they're, Kyler Murray is about as good. And a lot of people have been, you know, up on him stock-wise this year. He's he's just good. And, I mean, he makes the players around him better. So, I mean, it, I don't know. I, I think. But L.A. But LA is so good. They've got the pieces. And, you know. Say what you want, Matt Stafford. I think he's the perfect fit for their offense. And and Jared Goff was not the guy. Jared Goff has won two games in his career, in his professional career, without Sean McVay. Um, And he's lost a bunch more than that. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, I think, but how how hard, think about this, in talk shows and everything, or Tuesday in this case, how hard does Matt Stafford get slammed if they don't win this football game? He he hasn't won one. You know, he didn't win one in Detroit. Now you can't say, okay, now you're right, but now you're out of now you're out of Detroit. You've got a great head coach. Um, you got pieces around you, but you're playing a team that I tell you is as scrappy as they come. And I I don't I don't really trust, and I think this is both teams' downfall to a point. I don't trust any of them. If you have a third and one when you have to man up and run the football, I I have to like Arizona better because Kyler Murray can run the football. Exactly. That's what I was getting ready to say. If I'm going to have to choose one, I think I think the Arizona running game is a little bit better. I mean, they got James Conner and a couple other a couple other pieces. Um, LA's defense though is is. I mean, they're pretty stout. I mean, you got Aaron Donald. And then you have that matchup. Sort of that matchup to me epitomizes sort of what the modern day NFL looks like. And then you yes. have your classic type matchup with the Cowboys and 49ers, where there there's going to be a very old school feel, I think, in this football game. Not just not just because the two franchises in it, and you know. Uh, 
my one of my bosses, he's actually a Cowboys fan, and I've told him this all year. Ezekiel Elliott is not their best running back. No, mm-mm. I'll agree with that. He he used to be. I think Pollard's way better. One hundred percent. And this is what when you look at the contract that Dak Prescott got, this is the type of game that they're paying him for. This is why you pay him that extra money and splurge on a quarterback said, okay, now a playoff game where San Francisco, one thing they do really, really well is they sort of make you play ugly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and and yes, they have their flaws and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a guy that really scares you, but, you know, they put lipstick on a pig better than anybody else in football. And, you know, even as a Packer fan, but I think it'd be the case with anyone in the league. I don't know that there's anyone that says, yeah, okay, bring me San Francisco. I'm good with that. Yeah, no one wants to play the 49ers. It's not one of those things where it's like, yeah, I want to draw that team to play them. No, you you just know how, what type of game you're in for. They can get after the passer. They run the football. And if you have a star quarterback, if you can't stop the run, your star quarterback is going to be watching a lot of the football game. Yeah. And, but I think what Dallas has going in their favor is this. They have heard all week how San Francisco is going to win this football game. All week. And I don't know that there have been many six seeds that have been talked about as such a favorite over a three seed in a playoff matchup is San Francisco this week. And I think you say that enough to athletes like at the NFL level. And I think that that wears on them. And I think they pay attention to that. So I think Dallas will win, but I think it'll be really, really close. Um, And it really comes down to this. I like Dak better than Jimmy. Yeah, I think Jimmy's kind of – he is what he is. I mean, he's going to give you a game-managing top style. He's not going to win you the game. He's not going to lose you the game either. So, I mean, right. it's – He's perfect for their offense. And, and you know, I think if we role play and say, okay, if San Francisco wins two playoff games, say they say they go to Dallas and beat Dallas, and then let's say that even if they were to go beat Green Bay, do you really move off of Jimmy Garoppolo? I know that here that people have been, I mean, they've been lobbying for a trade for Jimmy G, but I, ugh. in that situation, how could you? I don't know. I don't think they, they would. You, you, you go, you know, beat Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs at Lambeau after you beat Dallas on the road. Now here's an interesting thing about this Dallas game. Mike McCarthy for all the flack he has taken and much of it rightfully so has never lost to Kyle Shanahan. See that makes me pick Dallas. Like I, I feel like, I feel like he, he. I feel like the Cowboys will just win that game. And I'm not a huge Cowboys fan. I just feel like their I, ability. I think it'll be ugly, but I think Dallas wins. It, it could be like a 15, 12 type yes. football game. Yes, I think they're going to run the ball a lot. Um, I mean, Dak's going to throw what Dak can throw. Which I mean, he's right. he's, and, he's to me, he's not elite i think he's like the step right below that right he's you know top two tiers of quarterback in the league but um i mean i think they just line up and run the ball down their throat i think that's kind of how both teams are kind of setting it up Mm -hmm. i will say this tampa bay philly game uh 
I don't know. I mean, I feel like Tampa Bay is going to win, but I wouldn't be shocked if Philadelphia did something crazy. You know, you, you go back to last year, and people point to that NFC title game a lot, and rightfully so, um, when you have Brady Rodgers. But remember, Tampa Bay almost didn't get by Washington last And Taylor year. Heineke played – out of his skull good. I mean, yeah. and, and I really like Taylor Heineke. I mean, he's I probably one of my favorite players in the league right now. He's just – he is a gamer. But, again, they're in that kind of situation where I don't think they're overlooking Philadelphia, but it could be one of those things where Philly's, Philly's going to play and play hard. You mentioned gamers, and I think of Jalen Hurts in that in that scenario too. He he's not he's not the guy that you look at his numbers and he's going to blow you away and you're going to say man we, we got to play that Jalen Hurts guy but he just wins he he's effective I mean, I mean he, he he scores it when he needs when, to score it I mean he passes the ball well he runs the ball well he he does what he has to do to win the game and go go back to when he was at Alabama and I mean first of all. Nick said, how many coaches bench a guy that has lost him two games ever? Yes, like that's um, insane. He lost two games in a starter, but he stayed ready. In the next year, people forget this, he rescued Alabama in that SEC title game. Yeah, yeah, he did. When Tula got hurt, if it's not for Jalen Hurts, Alabama doesn't win that game. And then to, and, to go and play his final year at Oklahoma. And he was a Heisman candidate. Yes, it, it doesn't make any sense why people are so down on him. And now I get he's not the most polished passer in the world, but dang it, he's a gamer. Yes, and, he's, and he's the type of guy that, you know, he may not, I think there's practice guys, people that can, you know, look really good in practice, but then there are those quarterbacks. Coastal Carolina has one of them and Grayson McCall that they don't blow you away in practice. They look very mediocre at best. But then they get to a game, and you're just like, well, what did what just got unlocked? It's like some cheat code that no one knew existed. And then you're like, <laughs> who is this guy? And, you know, and I, I think – don't be surprised if Jalen Hurts makes a couple of big plays. And, and what I don't like about Tampa right now is all the drama that they have going on. And very rarely – can a team push all that aside and concentrate on a task at hand? If there's someone that can do it, his name's Tom Brady. Um, but Leonard Fournette's banged up, and how key was he a year ago? Um, he's not 100%, and I think they're going to need him. If not this week, they'll certainly need him down the road. Um, and I, I just I just don't know. The, and – take the antics from Antonio Brown aside, he was such a big part of that offense. He could take the top off. Yeah. I mean, they, they and, and now you don't, Tampa Bay doesn't have that weapon. No. I mean, and, and Mike Evans you can is pinch down in the box a little bit and you can, I mean, and Mike Evans is more of a possession, you know, red zone right. type. And, guy. and Gronk is, Gronk is a nightmare of a matchup. There's no doubt about that, but, that doesn't I mean, give you I the big it, play ability that Antonio Brown did, and I mean, I know Scotty Miller's good, but it it, it it's not it's Adrian. not it's not Adrian Brown, uh, Antonio Brown. Oh man! So it's so I think I think it's interesting. 
Um, but I think I think Tampa Bay survives. But I, I'm with you. I wouldn't be shocked if Philly wins this football game. No. Just off a of gut instinct, uh, who would you pick to be in the Super Bowl right now? I, I just I, – I don't think – and I know we sort of mentioned how no one's talking about Tennessee. But I, 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 it's, it's really hard to pick against Kansas City. Uh, they've figured out the defense a little bit. And at the end of the day, you still know how many points were they down a couple of years ago in the playoffs and Mahomes brought them roaring back. You never feel like you're out of the football game as long as 15's your quarterback. If you got Pat back um, there, I mean, he's going to make something happen. We, we got a chance. We're down 30, but we got Pat Mahomes. We got a chance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he might throw for six touchdowns in the second half. Um, so I, I think I'd have to go with Kansas City. Um, but – I wouldn't be surprised. I think that Kansas City Buffalo is intriguing to me. I just think Buffalo makes too many mistakes. I think so too. I don't um, think they're I don't think they're ready yet. They need like one no, or two they, more pieces. And, and they would meet in the second round. Yeah. Um and in all likelihood. So um and I just don't think Tennessee has the firepower to keep up. Um in that type of game, although it would be a national, not Arrowhead, which matters. Um, as for the, the NFC, I think, you know, it, and it, there's, there might be a little bias here, but I just think that this is the year that it sure feels Aaron like Rodgers, it. that Aaron Rodgers gets over the hump in the NFC title game. They've been, I mean, when you think what Matt LaFleur has done, I mean, how many first time NFL head coaches, by the way, and he's lost a grand total of 11 games in three years. It's unreal. I mean, it, it, her, no, 12 games, sorry. He's lost four each season, if you count in the playoffs. But, I mean, now, granted, and, and the critics will say, well, Aaron Rodgers makes anyone look good. Well, yeah, there's there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, he made Mike McCarthy look so good, he got fired. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers said, well, you know, it didn't work, but you have to have a coach with the demeanor to handle a personality like Aaron Rodgers. Um, and Matt LaFleur has got that. Bruce Arians is that type of guy. I mean, how much more have we learned about Tom Brady now that he's in Tampa Bay? I will, I, I used to not he's, like he's Tom. Human. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I used to not like tom brady when he played in he's new england and as soon as he opened up and kind of came out of his shell and started throwing the lombardi trophy from he's boat fun. to boat and doing this you know these little shows with gronk i'm like this guy he's is cool fun. like he right. yeah, he is and, a cool guy he's not as stuffy as i originally <laughs> thought because right. when you play for bill belichick it's like you, it's kind of like um it's like you sell your soul to this little box and then he puts your soul in the box and, and, <laughs> and you no longer get to be yourself. It's like you're right. now a new England Patriot <laughs> for, for Mac Jones. It's okay. Cause he just went from the Saban box to the Belgian. Exactly. Box. And they're, they're best friends. Like, so it's, it's like, I'm going to just take your soul from Saban and put it in my box. And now everything is good. Go, going back, going back to green Bay and Rogers has sort of alluded to this. The difference I think between this year and last year too, is, Lambeau Field won't just have 5,000 people in it this time. Yes, the place will be packed. Uh, it's it's going to have 85,000. And, you know, it, it, you look at 
the divisional round, uh, whoever that would be, say it's in Arizona, the high temperature next Sunday in Green Bay is 10 degrees. And there's not much that you can do to really equate for playing in that type of bitter cold. Um, You know, things hurt (laughs) when it's that cold outside. (laughs) And you you get hit, it hurts worse. But look at all the pieces this year, really for the bulk of the year that Green Bay has not had that might be coming back. Your best cover corner hasn't played all season, really, minus the first couple of weeks. Your best pass rushers, Darius Smith, hasn't played all season except week one and two, and really minimal in those two games. And now both of them are likely back. David Bakhtiari, who you haven't had all season until last week, your best left tackle is back, covering the blind side of Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, you've had all these guys at times step up, uh, and, and it's you, and they've still won. I mean, Aaron Rodgers won with lawn chairs as receivers against in, in that game against Arizona. Yeah, I mean, he. I mean, it, he makes many, everybody better. And he, in this league, win without their top three wideouts. Not very many. I mean, we're, we're talking about you know Cam Newton moments ago, and what receiver has he had? It looked a lot like Green Bay's receiving core against Arizona. Yeah. Um, but he, 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 you're right. He just makes so many people better. There were some throws, uh, go back a couple weeks ago against Minnesota that you just say you, you, you can't defend it. Yeah. I mean, he, he's almost, he's almost perfect. He throws the ball almost perfect. He and Devontae Adams on the same page. I think it's it's the most dangerous one-two combination in football. That's not a knock to Gronk and Tom, but they Gronk doesn't have the scary athleticism to run away from you that Devontae does. No. I, um, I'll agree. And, and just just the chemistry that they have. And, you know, it, and with Aaron Rodgers at home, something you also have to keep in mind and that's a weapon for him is that hard count. Yes. And if he gets, say he only gets one free play a game, but you're giving one of the best throwers to ever play the game a free shot downfield, hang on. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) because, you know, he's good enough without him. And, but you look at Green Bay, they don't turn the football over. Um, You know, Aaron Rodgers is a huge part of that. And they can run the ball a couple different ways. They can bounce it outside with the likes of Aaron Jones. And then they have this smash mouth sort of freight train in AJ Dillon that, I mean, a lot of people criticized that draft pick two years ago. Uh, It was in the same draft as Jordan Love. The Packers went Jordan Love round one, AJ Dillon round two. And I was probably in the minority of Packer fans that said, hang on, this is a really good pick. You got to look at what you have at the time. They had Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, who are very similar style backs. Um, and you sort of knew one of them was going to be the odd man out. And Jamal Williams is not Aaron Jones. So it was Jamal, but well, I think, I think a lot of people forget it, how good Aaron Jones is. I mean, he, yes. he is phenomenal. I mean, he, he does such a good and, job. And people talk about go back a year or two ago when Christian McCaffrey was leading the NFL in touchdowns. Aaron Jones was right behind him. Yeah. And he's a receiving back out of the backfield, but 
my point on AJ Dillon is this. When you have a big physical 240 pound back and it's 10 degrees outside, you don't want to run in the way of that. No, it's it, I mean, <laughs> that's hard to tackle for any linebacker, any D lineman, and especially if you have a running game like Green Bay blocks, and you can get to the second uh, set of tacklers. What defensive back wants to meet AJ Dillon one on one? None. They're saying, I'm good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive at his ankle I mean, and hold on. Look, his style of running game, and you could go back to what he did in Boston College, and it's the same. It translates. Yes. It's very much the Derrick Henry style of it, – it's Aaron Jones will – I mean, he, he can run between tackles, don't get me wrong, but he'll try to avoid contact, and he's good at it. A.J. Dillon says, all right, go ahead, hit me. Yep. But I'm pushing the pile forward. And and just that combination, I think it's the best all around roster Aaron Rodgers has probably had since the year they went fifteen and one, where they choked in the playoffs. But um, you know, I it's just such a deep roster, and I think not having a lot of the pieces that they've had throughout the year has just made the team deeper because you've had a lot of guys that have had to play big time minutes. I mean, Eric Stokes at corner. I mean. Is when you talk about the talented rookie class in the NFL, not a lot of people talk about him. No. Um, but just so much speed on the edge, and you put him and Jair Alexander as your two corners, that, that's a good place to be. And the pickup of Rasul Douglas has been unbelievable. Yes. It's a guy who was on the practice squad in Arizona and got cut. And he came to Green Bay – had an interception to seal the game against Arizona and then had back-to-back weeks with a pick six. I mean, <laughs> what more could you, you want from a guy? <laughs> you, you can't, you can't script it better than that. So I just think that it coming through Lambeau, Aaron Rodgers knows the pressure that's on him. The critics are going to be far and wide if he doesn't get to the Super Bowl. Um, because he said for years and years and years, it would be great to get one of these meaning NFC Championship games at home. He got it at home last year. Tom Brady got the better end of him. Now he gets it again. And full crowd, you know, the whole nine yards. And it's one that you say, all right, this is what you've asked for. And go get the job done. So, and, you know, it's odd. We have not seen Mahomes and Rodgers play in the same game yet. No, I think that would be a good matchup. To me, I, I don't like seeing the same teams though, like all all the time. So if right. I, if I'm going to pick two that I think are going to get there, I, I'm going to pick one with my heart. My brother's a huge Titans fan. It, there you go. It's time. It's time for them to <laughs> get another shot. I mean, they were so close <laughs> the last time. I mean, oh my god, like literally like two yards away. Yard. I mean outstretched on his back with the football almost at the goal line and they win that game against the Rams. I got to go Titans. I think they're going to just run the ball. And Those two Titan teams, by the way, play very, very similar styles. Yes, they did. And, I mean, Steve McNair it was unbelievable for them during that time period. So, um, I'm going to pick the Titans. I think they, they do possession-style football. Derrick Henry, like you said, coming back strong and not as much mileage as everybody else this season yeah it's a game changer from the other side i think we're going to see someone who hasn't been there for a while i think the cowboys have a pretty good chance 
But like you said, they have to play against Green Bay in Green Bay if they get there. So, you know, what a storyline you'd have there. It would be such a good storyline. At the beginning of the year, the two teams I really wanted was the Browns and the and the uh, Washington football team, but <laughs> that that didn't materialize quite the way I wanted it to. Mike McCarthy coming back to Lambeau. Yeah. With everything on the line would would be incredible th- as if Packers Cowboys isn't good enough. Their history speaks for itself. Yeah. Uh, but then you add that storyline, Aaron Rodgers, who, let's face it, essentially ushered Mike McCarthy right out of town. And, and that guy now comes back to try to beat you for a trip to the Super Bowl. Like that, it, The NFL, if they can't get Brady Rodgers in the NFC title game, that's the matchup they want. Yeah, I think so. So I think, gosh, you made a really good point for Green Bay, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I hate to pick a little bit of bias. Yeah. I hate to pick against them, but I think, I think it'll be Tennessee versus the Cowboys. And then if I'm going to pick one, I want Tennessee to win because I do not like the Cowboys. (laughs) 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 So yeah, yeah, crash and burn. I want you to get there and get your heart broken. Uh, (laughs) Here's my thing. And, and the biggest um, uh, difficulty I have with Dallas is outside of the NFC East, or as I like to call it, the NFC least, they have not been very good. No. They dominate their division, but their division is not very good. Um, You know, Philadelphia, who can be tricky, but the Giants are a flaming disaster. Um, And and Washington's like hot and cold. Like, they'll play really, really well. And then all of a sudden, it's like... Oh, we can't, you know, and defend anybody. <laughs> you look against, I mean, some of, some of the good teams that that Dallas has played, and they haven't fared well. Um, you go back opening night, uh, and they they they're right in the game against Tampa Bay, which I think would bode well for them should it get there. But I I, I don't know because they've had such a up and down roller coaster against some of the best teams in the league. They, they lost a close one to Tampa Bay and you look, um, you look, they played Kansas city. They scored nine points. Jordan love had more touchdowns against the chiefs than Dak Prescott did. Um, (laughs) they, they, they lost to the Raiders. They played Arizona at home and lost that football game. I mean, you look at some of the top teams they've played, their best win outside of the NFC East is New England. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. They did beat New England in overtime. But, I mean, that's that's not – I mean, New England's good, but, I mean, they're not Kansas City. But the games that they have lost have not – the only one that really does not look good is, is the Denver game. Yeah, 30-16. to 16. You can't lose that game. Um the other two, I mean, the Kansas City game, nineteen to nine, to me, that's within striking distance. Then you lose in overtime yeah. to Las Vegas, and again, people don't give Las Vegas enough credit. They've got a lot of pieces. I mean, mm-hmm. Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro. Um, they've got a good defense. People, but Waller didn't play in that game. He was hurt. Yeah, and so I mean, Vegas, Vegas is good, but. Again, if I'm going to pick, I think it's going to be Tennessee versus Dallas. Uh, what have you got coming up next for you with Coastal? I mean, I know you're doing a few more games. Uh, their season's just 
getting started? I know you're doing what volleyball and basketball and a couple other things. Yeah. Uh, women's basketball, uh, right now they, they lost a tough one last night at, um, little rock, but I tell you what, it, this team, there's so much fun to watch. Um, they're scrappy. They have a freshman point guard, Aaron Freeman. She's been, she, she's very Russell Westbrook like. Not, <laughs> not from, not, not from the bad part. Not the guy but, right but, now but, that they keep playing cold and right. with, right? <laughs> but, but, but just the hustle and tenacity that she plays with. Um, and, and it's they, they got a senior post player in Asia Blunt who is a walking double double. Um, she has so many moves inside, has really taken her game to a next level. And really the remarkable thing, even after last night, um, Coastal sits at 12-3 and three on the year on the women's side. And this is a team that won three games all season a year ago. Uh, and and just newcomers have, have really spried this team. Aaron Freeman, we mentioned at point guard. Um, Blair Schultz has been another one, a JUCO transfer, but – a lot of these freshmen that Coach Jada Williams has brought in have provided an impact immediately. Um, and anytime you have that. And the other thing I think, you know, numbers speak for themselves. But this whole freshman class, they have a swagger about them. Like a lot of them, and I don't think it can be underestimated. And Larry Hunter, as you and I knew very well at Western, he would allude to this, is you – you, you can't coach somebody how to win. When you come in and just expecting to win because that's what you're used to, you, there's not a coaching metric for that. No, and that's that's one um, of those things where that's an intangible, they would say. Right, and, and these girls have – they expect to win wherever they are. I mean, you look – and it sounds odd. The exception might be last night. But two of the most impressive games they've played have been in their two losses um, before last night. They, Troy, the preseason favorite in the league, and rightfully so. They've, they've, been, they've lost four conference games in two years. Oh, wow. Um, and they, they pressure you for a full 40 minutes. But in that game on the road at Troy, Troy shot 23 more free throws. And Coastal Carolina turned it over eleven or thirty-one times and was right in the and right in the game. Wow, that's um, a lot of turnovers. And, and that, that's a bunch of turnovers, and, and and I can feel Coach Jada Williams rolling her eyes as wherever she is there in Arkansas, hearing that number, just having nightmares about it. But the fact that you're against a very quality team like that and you're still right there. Um, free throws late. They ended up, Troy ended up winning by 11. The other one against St. Mary's was a back and forth showcase of what women's college basketball can be, especially at the mid-major level. And St. Mary's hit a three as time expired to win the basketball game. But I mean, they're just so much fun to watch. They play with so much energy and so much passion. And so many times you see teams that they play together on the court and they do stuff together off the court because they have to. What's impressed me most about this team, they want to be together. It, it, they, you know, outside when they're classes or studying or whatever the case may be around campus, they want to hang out together off the floor. Um, 
and they just have such a rooting interest for each other. It's not clicky at all. The blend between the upperclassmen and, and this freshman class has been truly remarkable. Uh, Angie Justine, another freshman, she's averaging 14 points in her first four conference games, has uh, really been a spark plug for him, scoring the basketball as well. They're just a fun group to watch. Now, Arkansas State will pose – it'll be a track meet type of game. They came off a uh, 96-92 win last night against Appalachian State, and there's not too many times you talk about women's basketball getting up in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but but both the, both uh, Coastal Carolina and Arkansas State can certainly do it. Um, it'd, be a, it'd be a high-tempo game, but it's just a lot of fun to watch. And you look at, at the conference as a whole, it – and you talk about these group of five. We've talked. We talked about it with Cincinnati a little bit, but I think it's really across sports and the Sun Belt and women's college basketball is like that too. Little Rock, a team that they're not favored in their own league. They're six and five this year after last night, and they've beaten two teams out of the SEC. They're two and two against the SEC this year. Um, so you you talk about a conference that they have a, a lot of talent and you can play a lot of different ways in this league and it, it's just fun to be a part of so where could people hear you uh call your games at it so, yeah so you you can take it online you don't have to have the subscription deal uh 1055 hank fm so you can um get the web link there and on on my socials i like to try to put it up there but the website hank1055.com is how you can catch their games. So, um, it, again, it's it's just a really fun watch or listen, however you decide to do it. And I think, you know, it, it's a long way from March, but it's not, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> I mean, it, we're – I was getting ready to say on closing this, you know, we're coming up on a lot of good sports that are coming up. Uh, the Daytona 500 is coming up on, you know, February 20th. So, we're – we're almost within 20 days or, you know, less, we're less than 30 coming up by the time this is posted. So that is coming up. Uh, the the big game, the super bowl is coming up. And then of course you can hear Kyle on what was that, uh, station and, uh, website again. Hank, one Oh five, five.com with uh, coastal Carolina women's basketball, a real, real treat to watch them play. Uh, they get out and run, they can, they've, they've played fast. They've slowed it down a little bit uh, at times as well, but uh, really a treat to watch. And, and the Sun Belt as a whole, and when they get to Pensacola for this conference tournament, for just from early impressions this year, there's four or five teams that can probably win this thing. That's awesome. So, again, check Kyle out, uh, calling his games there for Coastal. If you want to reach out to us, you can do that. That's styles.and.friends.podcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us a, a voicemail, still have that number. It's 828-549-8842. Again, 828-549-8842. Kyle, it's been great to catch up with you, man. It's good to talk some yeah, sports likewise, here at the beginning of the, uh, beginning of the season. I, I wanted to uh, get an episode out a little bit sooner, but between me having a head cold and then you know, the whole start of the NASCAR season for me at work, it's been a little been a little hectic, but I'm glad that we got to sit down and do this. It's been a lot of fun, man. Hey, hey the NASCAR season ain't slowing down anytime soon for you either. Oh, no, we're getting ready to get picked up. A lot of people will say, oh, you're in the off season. Like, you guys must not have a lot going on. I said, you must not know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to thank you guys for listening. Again, if you want to check out Kyle, you can uh, do that at, at the uh, Hank FM. Uh, what was it? One more time. 
Hank 105.5 uh, FM on uh, around the Grand Strand or Hank1055.com. Awesome. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, that's Styles and Friends Podcast on Instagram. Uh, again, Kyle, thanks for hanging out with us. I guess we'll talk to you guys next time. Have a good one.